welcome back to Return to the Telepodcast, a show about shitty horror movie sequels, prequels, reboots, uh, remakes. Rehash. Yeah, it really is about rehashes, I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm Bryce Patterson, and I'm joined by... I'm Bryce Patterson. (laughs) Yes, you are, I think. I'm Bryce, and I'm joined by Kevin. How are you doing, Kevin? Oh, you know, I'm vibing. I'm chilling. I'm living... Living the dream, which uh, for white people means they want to die, but I'm not white, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a, a little glance behind the scenes, Kevin and I just finished uh, recording our bonus episode for October. We did. So this is kind of a weird, like we just recorded and then paused for like a minute and are recording again. Yes. Uh, I think our, our bonus episode uh, went pretty well. You should listen to it if you haven't yet. That will go out probably quite a bit before this one will. (laughs) Yeah, probably several weeks before this episode goes live. So, uh, yeah. Cool. So, uh, this week we're taking a look at Eli Roth's 2002 cult classic, Cabin Fever, and its 2009 sequel, Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever. Yes. So, uh, I mean, neither of us had ever seen these films going in. Nope. And, I mean, I knew very little. I kind of had, like, a vague, like, it was something. I wanted to see Cabin Fever because I'd heard that it was kind of a cult classic. But, I mean, that's about the extent of, of my history with it. No. I, I I don't think I've ever heard of Cabin Fever before, like, I saw it. I know who Eli, Eli Roth was because he was in Inglorious Bastards. And I knew that he was a film director as well. Uh, and he was also my favorite character in Inglorious Bastards because he was really hot. Yeah, no, that's that's very fair. Yeah, um, yeah he made uh, Hostel, which I think is a yeah, I dumpster that. fire of a movie. Um, hot take. <laughs> hot take. So I think maybe instead of talking about our history with these films as we usually would, what's your history with prom, Kevin? My history with prom. So here's the tea. Here's the tea, baby. Here's the tea. So when I was a senior, uh, I had my first boyfriend. Pro tip. Um, if you're queer especially, don't date someone in high school just because they're the only other queer person there. Like, out queer person. That, like, you feel like you have a shot with. Noted. Uh, because, uh, not to toot my own horn, uh, but he was, uh, he did not deserve me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put it at that. Um, so I asked him out, uh, to prom. I literally just wrote, like, prom on a pizza box. Uh, and I gave it to him. What kind of pizza? It was Domino's, I think. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he said no, which, like, we kind of both knew our relationship was kind of going down the drain. I, I just kind of wanted to go to prom, sort of. Um, so he said no. Uh, I was kind of bummed out about that. Uh, but my prom was literally, like, $200 to go in. Uh, and I've been to homecoming before and it was literally the same thing with fancier. So I kind of skipped out on that because fuck that noise. Yeah. I I think that's a very fair prom experience. Mm -hmm. I, um, I went to prom at another high school, like a different high school my junior year. And it was like, uh, a girl, I actually, we, we like weren't dating at the time we dated later. Uh, but I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And so it was kind of this surreal sort of, you know, it's like a bunch of, uh, you know, dumb 17-year-olds or whatever being like, this is the best night of my life. And then I was kind of just there like, hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah, and I didn't, I didn't go to my senior prom. Oh, God, no. 
Cool. Absolutely not. So that will uh, we'll we'll come back to prom. We if shall. you've only seen Cabin Fever one, that might seem like a weird digression, but I promise it all comes together. The real cabin was prom. <laughs> start by uh, briefly summarizing Cabin Fever. So college students Jeff, Marcy, Paul, Karen, and Bert are taking a vacation at a remote cabin in the woods. Not that cabin in the woods. Not, but yeah, but not that cabin. <laughs> uh, so Jeff and Marcy are a couple, and then Paul is simping really hard for Karen. Yeah. Um, yeah, like half the movie is him just being like, so like, what if we like dated or something? That is his um, character for the first two acts. I uh, could relate, but um, <laughs> I'm sure you could press. And then their friend Bert is just kind of there. Yes. Uh, so while Bert is out shooting squirrels, he accidentally shoots and injures Henry, uh, who's a man infected with a flesh-eating virus. Bert leaves Henry in the woods, and he doesn't tell the others about the incident. So then later that night, while the college kids are all sitting around a campfire getting wasted, Bert bets that he can survive drinking only beer for the rest of the trip. Uh, Henry returns, and when the kids aren't willing to help, he attempts to steal their truck, and in the ensuing chaos, vomits blood across the interior, and they accidentally set him on fire. The next day, while the others are out looking for help, Paul meets weirdo party cop Winston. Best promises Best character, absolutely. Uh, So he meets uh, Winston, who's a cop, who's also just, like, really into partying. Um, And Winston promises to send a tow truck. Back inside, Paul tries to seduce a sleeping-slash-distraught Karen and realizes that she's infected. The group forces her to isolate in a shed outside. Bird is able to fix the truck, but realizes that he is also infected. He returns to town anyway looking for help and gets chased by local people afraid of the spread of disease. Jeff leaves the group to hide out and gets wasted by himself. And back at the cabin, uh, Paul and Marcy have sex and kind of a moment of there's this line about like it's like being on an airplane that's going down. Yeah. You want to fuck the person right next to you. Yeah. Uh, Paul goes out into the woods and realizes that Henry's body uh, has contaminated the water supply. Marcy realizes that she's infected. There's a showdown with the locals and Bert gets killed. Paul bumps into Winston again, uh, Winston being our party cop. Uh, Eventually he gets killed. Uh, Jeff is also shot by the police. Uh, and at the end, there's this surreal like party scene with the ta- townsfolk standing around drinking lemonade that we as the audience know is contaminated. Winston doesn't get killed. Uh, Winston doesn't get killed. Paul gets killed. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry, pardon my Winston phrasing. Got <laughs> he shows up in the sequel, so... That's right, he does. Also, he's central to my pitch, so we need him alive. Understandable. Cool. So, I mean, what was, what was your experience with Cabin Fever? What do you think of it? Um... When I watched it, I was more confused than anything else, honestly. <laughs> uh, it, it was funny, but like, I don't know, in a confusing sort of way. Like, I was laughing every now and again uh, when they weren't saying like deeply racist or homophobic jokes. But like, I don't know, I feel like the, the horror and the, and the comedy didn't quite mesh. At least it didn't mesh well enough for me. I feel like it was a little bit comedy heavy, not enough horror heavy, maybe. 
That's fair. Yeah. No, I, I believe this was Eli Roth's first film, mm-hmm. and it feels kind of like a first movie that it's sort of like uh, it's packing a lot in. Yeah. Um. So it has the the horror. It does have a lot of pretty funny moments yes. to it. Uh, the soundtrack. Some amount of it was composed by uh, Angelo Badalamenti. I would think is the name, uh, which is the guy who did the soundtrack for Twin Peaks. Mm. Um, and it has this very weird, odd kind of atmosphere. Yeah. Um, which is really fun, but it, it, it does feel like that first movie where he's just like, alright, we're just gonna pack as much stuff into this as we can. It feels like the tone is like, I feel like Eli Roth was trying to go for like, classic like, I don't know, like coming of age college movie sort of vibe. Maybe I'm thinking like Scream or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but raunchier? But it just kind of ended up feeling like scary movie, except with a horror plot, like an actual horror plot. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are like nods to a lot of classic, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, Texas Chainsaw, Evil Dead, stuff like that. And so it's maybe similar to Scream in that way, that it's playing on those older tropes. Yeah. But- uh, in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's an interesting... I was thinking about this. So there were several moments where we were watching where we all in the room cringe, yeah. right? Um, and I was thinking about, like, I think there's something to the 90s and the early 2000s in media that there's much less, like, outright censorship mm-hmm. as far as what characters can say on screen, but there's also not the same level of, like, thoughtfulness that we have today about, like, whether that should be said. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of the characters being like, oh yeah, that's so gay. Yeah. Um, and like, w- at least once in the movie, it's sort of a joke of the guy like starting to confess his feelings to a girl and her being like, oh, gay. Um, to be fair, I love that scene. Yeah, and that scene's that's hilarious, right? But I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a hit or miss sort of thing where it's kind of like this sort of freedom to say anything without the thought about like whether you should say something. Yeah. And I think you really feel that in like a lot of movies from this era. Pretty much, yeah. You can feel that even in, like, Scary Movie also. Mm-hmm. Like, just... You, you kind of realize how far, like... like It's just, like, social norms yeah, I think, are I really different. And maybe, like, what we expect from media yeah. is really different. You, you kind of see how, like, much that's changed in, like, the past 20 years. Before, people were still using, like, gay as an insult for things. Now no one does that unless you're a middle school boy who's way behind the times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting both, like, like just the context of watching it now, right? Having just lived through a pandemic and still living in a pandemic. Yeah. Um, it's funny, we were like, wait, why is nobody wearing a mask? Right. Um, and even, like, when they're, like, making somebody quarantine, they're still, like, carrying her out um, oh, they without all covering their mouths. They all would have died. Yeah, they all would have gotten COVID bad. Real fast. Yeah. Real fast. They weren't even trying. Yeah, I mean, so my my kind of response to it overall was that, like, I think it's, like, a total... Like, it's kind of a mess of a movie, yeah. but in a way that I had a lot of fun with. Um, with those moments of just being like, oh, this was 20 years ago, yeah. where you, you kind of viscerally feel that. But I did have a blast with it, you know? Yeah, I enjoyed it, uh, even though there were... It's not a perfect movie, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I, I think that's so many cult classics, right, are kind of, like, there there are those flaws to them or whatever, but, like, there's some heart to it that still yeah. kind of sticks through. Right, yeah, and I feel like that mostly comes from Winston, to be honest. Yeah. So, so Winston, he's the, like, 
just a cop in this tiny little town. He's just constantly talking about partying. He's like drinking with a bunch of underage people yep. towards the end. And yeah, he's just a hilarious character. So cool. It's just like, I, I don't think I've ever seen a character that's like him in media before. He, yeah, he almost feels like he's wandered in from like, I don't know, something like super bad yeah. or like, like, like he feels like he's come from a different genre, but he's such a blast to see in a horror movie. Whereas I think if he were in just a straight comedy, I would not have the same like love for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's important to note that he really becomes much more of a central character, kind of like at the third act. Yeah. When the movie gets much more horror focused, I would say. Yeah, and I think he gives us these like breathing moments in the third act where there's like a lot of like uh, splatter and crazy stuff happening, and then we have like this guy where we're like, oh hey, it's him again. Just uh, partying with a bunch of underage people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I guess, other reasons that the film has maybe become kind of a cult classic. Um, I think the like the infection horror pairs really nicely with like the kind of partying horny college kid yeah. uh, horror, and it's a it's a clever kind of convergence. I think that like a lot of these like infection films are either like a zombie film, um, or are kind of taking place in like a much more sort of adult world. Right. Uh, but the horny teens that are all trying to bang each other, or I guess horny college kids that are all trying to bang each other, like they they make a lot of sense to mesh in those genres. Yeah, I mean. Horny, drunk, irresponsible college kids faced with a uh, rapidly spreading deadly virus or whatever pathogen. Uh, it's a nice mix because you know that they're not going to like take any precautions at all because they're stupid. Yeah, and I think it means we have sort of like a Friday the 13th style kind of slasher first act mm -hmm. that's just like a bunch of dumb kids doing dumb stuff, you know? Right. Um, but then the way it shifts, it, the way it shifts feels fairly different. Um, and so like by like the third act especially, like rather than them being like chased by a physical person, even though they somewhat are, yeah. uh, it's also them dealing with something that's much more, like much more dangerous on some level. Yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like the college kids are, well, for, they're literally outsiders because they're like going to this uh, community, this very rural community uh, that acts extremely differently from what they're used to. Um, but they're also like outsiders in that like they don't know about this disease at all that everyone in the community does. I don't know, it, it, it's almost like they don't have a, not a natural immunity, but they don't have an immunity of like, we shouldn't be here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, when it's like such a classic horror trope of like the city folk coming to the country, you right. know, it's very much like Texas Chainsaw or uh, The Hills Have Eyes, you know. Yeah. Um, it's like if Freddy Krueger was microscopic, and there was a lot of them. Yeah. When there's something similar that, like, in the same way that kind of sleep becomes the antagonist in Nightmare on Elm Street, it's like the water is the antagonist here. Yeah. And I think that that's a really interesting move that will factor heavily into my pitch. But yes. um, I think it's something, it's it's explored a little bit in the film, uh, but it's more of a joke of kind of, uh, you know, Jeff goes off with like a couple of cases of beer and just spends the rest of the movie getting wasted and right. then gets killed at the end. Um, but like the idea that like drinking water fundamentally could kill you, I think is like a really interesting horror setup. It is, yeah. And I feel like I, I should just reiterate, if they weren't absolute morons, they probably would have survived. <laughs> yeah, there's a fair chance, yeah. Um, I, I think, too, there's something, like, 
I don't know if, like, sexual horror is the word that I'm looking for. I think there's, like, a deep connection between, like, fear and sexuality, I would say. Yeah, and that kind of, like, sex and death yes. uh, equation that, like, y- you know, it's like in, in Scream, there's the guy who's like, you can't have sex! Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like that, that, that plays out in this movie in kind of an interesting way that... Um, you know, Paul hooks up with Marcy, um, and there's a moment even where uh, he's like, oh, you're not going to use a condom, and she's like, don't worry, I'm clean. And then, you know, the next scene, we're like, oh, she's infected. Yeah. Um, it's it's playing on kind of like a like an STI sort of horror, I guess, um, which I, I guess feels very visceral on some level. Yeah. That a nickel for every STI horror film I've heard of, I would have two nickels. <laughs> What's the other one? It follows. Oh my god. Oh, I love It Follows. Yeah, which is like weird that there's two of them, but like, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's maybe something primal about like fears around sex and sexuality, or like mm-hmm. that's su- there's such a history of that in horror, and oh, yeah. it's like this isn't quite as explicit of a connection between the two as It Follows, but it is making that connection it on is. some level, I think. It definitely is. I mean, like, a lot of the characters find out that they're having it, or, like, we see that they, like, that their bodies are experiencing, like, the symptoms of this flesh-eating disease while they're having sex. Yeah, yeah, and it seems to kind of, like, originate, like, kind of around, like, I don't know, like, the sexual areas? I don't know, I guess, the, yeah. the swimsuit area, the one might say. <laughs> yeah. Any, any other thoughts on why this might be, like, a cult classic? I mean, I, I feel like it just has all the makings of it. It's very much like, I, I, and I feel like I said this while we were watching it, but it's very much like I know what you did last summer, uh, but with a virus. It's like if you took Contagion, and I know what you did last summer, and they had a baby, and the baby's godfather was super bad. I think that's a, a kind of shockingly accurate description, actually. Thank you, I try. Um, yeah, and it, it does make sense then that, that that it like it connects because it hits on all these different things that were like big in like pop culture at the time. Right. Yeah, I think there's something too as the 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 first act of the movie. Like, there's a good chunk of time before it really gets super horror oriented. Yeah. I guess yeah. you know, like we spend a lot of time with the characters, um, and they are. I mean, they're pretty generic, like dumb, horny college kids or whatever. Um, but we do spend a fair amount of time sort of in the buildup. Mm-hmm. And so I do think, you know, by the time everything starts going bonkers, I feel like we have like a pretty solid sense of like the stakes, the people involved and like sort of how they're going to relate to the situation. And I think that's pretty satisfying. Pretty much. Yeah. We already got like all of the characterizations or I guess like archetypes really like nailed down by the time the actual horror starts. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those things that, like, I think it can go two ways of either, like, why are we still, you know, just hanging out with these dumb kids, like, let's just start murdering them, you know? Right. Uh, and I felt that in some, like, slasher movies and stuff, but I, I think it generally does a good job that, like, it's fun, you know? Yeah. I, I think the uh, Paul trying to get with Karen is just fun, and I think it gives, like, this sort of, like, backbone to the movie and then it's surprising when Karen is the first person to be infected right. you know I think I you, traditionally we'd expect her to be the final girl and she's like really not by no. like a long ways I don't know there technically are well there is one final girl I guess oh in the sequel or oh, Jeff I'm sorry oh yeah but even Jeff gets yeah uh, Jeff gets killed yeah 
Yeah, I think it, it's sort of playing on like on our expectation that there will be like a final person, and, yeah. and there just absolutely is. There isn't. I mean, the closest thing is ja, not Jeff, uh, Paul, and then he gets killed immediately in the second movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I feel like this goes back to like me kind of seeing this as like. And I feel like Eli Roth is doing this on purpose, where he's, like, anticipating that an audience, like, has already seen kind of this movie before, and he's making the characters, like, their archetypes ramped up to, like, an extreme, like, unrealistic amount, to the point where, like, I kind of wanted to just, like, continue seeing these characters because I kind of wanted to see how much worse they can make the situation at hand. Because, like, they just, like... When they first encounter when when um, Bert first encounters like the sick guy, he he could have just like called for help, like he could have just gotten a doctor and they wouldn't have experienced <laughs> everything. Yeah, and then yeah. everyone just like fucking beats him up and kills him uh, because he just wanted to get a doctor. Yeah, well, yeah, the fact that they accidentally set a guy on fire. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's like really absurd, and there, there right. is a point, kind of like right after that, where the characters start to drop pretty quickly. Yeah, I, like my favorite thing. Well, I, I don't know if I'd say my favorite thing, but like one of the scenes that I feel like did that the best was like when Karen is deeply sick and is attacked by like the, one of the German, the German Shepherd, and like just loses like her entire like mouth area. And she's still fine. Well, I mean, she's still alive. Yeah, she's not fine, but she is alive. She's alive. Like, your lips aren't vital organs. <laughs> yeah. And then just Paul shoots her? I think he kills her with a shovel. Oh, yeah. Paul just kills her. And it's like, why? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, she'll be, she'll be fine with, like, what, antibiotics and, like, a reconstructive surgery. But apparently she has to die. And she's not hot anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it feels like it's supposed to be kind of like a mercy-killing moment, but, like, it's kind of not. I mean, I guess at this point she's been, like, infected and, like, is so uh, far gone that there probably is no saving her, I guess. I mean, I guess, but, like, she's still, like, alive. She's moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird moment. Cool. Well, do you want to summarize... Cabin Fever to Spring Fever. Yes, I will. Oddly enough, this film, at least in my opinion, is a lot easier to follow. <laughs> uh, so the film begins uh, with Paul. We talked about the last survivor of the first film. Uh, gets splattered by a school bus as he like runs out from the woods onto the road. School bus just like runs over him and he dies. Uh, the reporting officer uh, is party cop Winston from the first movie, uh, who tells the bus driver that he just ran over a moose. Uh, however, Winston starts to realize that a local water uh, bottled water company is selling water contaminated with the flesh-eating virus from the first film. Uh, unbeknownst to him, the contaminated water is distributed to a local high school. And then we immediately go to the main area of the action, the high school. So at this high school, uh, Senior John contemplates whether to go to prom with his crush Cassie, uh, who herself is in a relationship with a bully character, Mark, uh, or to stay at home. Meanwhile, his best friend Alex 
hooks up with a girl named Liz, who tells him that she might meet him at prom if she can get off of work, which is women code for no. Like, pretty clearly. It definitely feels like it. Yeah. Uh, so Winston witnesses uh, a worker from a bottled water company uh, die of a fleshing virus while all this is happening. Uh, and he figures out that the creek has been infected. Uh, he goes to the water plant to tell uh, the officials that the water is contaminated and to find records uh, of where the creek water was sold. And he finds out that it was sold at this high school. So at the prom, uh, students and faculty slowly begin dying one by one before anyone can realize what's happening. Uh, after getting into a fight with Mark, John is kicked out of the prom. Cassie follows him out and John confesses his feeling towards her. Suddenly the two are forced to go back inside the school uh, by the Contamination Control Division. Uh, a group of heavily armed soldiers tasked with containing and eliminating the virus. Pretty much just the CDC if they had weapons. But instead they're the CCD. The CCD, yeah. It's yeah. pretty uh, pretty on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once inside the CCD barricades, the doors trapping everyone. Uh, the students begin dying en masse uh, as the gym is gassed. Uh, with only a few students and faculty managing to escape the gym, uh, including Alex, John, and Cassie. Uh, the rest are locked in the gym to die. Uh, after realizing that he's become infected, Alex researches the disease at the school's library and finds out that he has an incurable form of necrotizing fasciitis. Uh, with Alex too far gone, he stays behind as John and Cassie look for a way to escape this high school. Uh, John discovers that he has also been infected and tells Cassie to saw off his hand to stop the spread of the disease. After this amputation, uh, Mark attacks Cassie with a hammer and nearly kills John before Cassie kills Mark with a nail gun in a girl boss moment. Hell yeah. So the two manage to leave the school, but they're followed by the CCD. John, realizing that he's lost too much blood to continue, uh, stalls them while Cassie manages to escape. Meanwhile, Winston finds his cousin Herman, and the two hatch a plan to leave the town. Uh, the two pick up a bloodied Cassie on their way out of town, and they all drive out. Uh, none of them realizing that Cassie is beginning to show signs of the infection. As this is all occurring, Liz, who was Alex's hookup from like way before, uh, is working at a strip club uh, when she begins to show signs of the disease. Uh, she spreads the illness to her customers who then spread it around even further. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we have to start by just talking about like what a radically different film the it sequel is, is to the original. Very different. I love it. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I think it's maybe similar to the difference between like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the sequel. But, I, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the original Cabin Fever is already kind of zany, and Cabin Fever 2 is bonkers. They're both tonally the same. They just take place in, like, a different setting, and they're kind of different horror genres, like, horror subgenres almost. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like where the, the first one is very much the Cabin in the Woods college kids. Mm -hmm. This is, like, the high school prom night kind of carry prom night um, Pretty you much, know. Yeah. Um, and it's also I think it's very much playing on just like movies about prom or movies about high school uh, and all the tropes that kind of come with that I mean when you have like a bloody 
girl in a prom dress, like immediately anyone would think of as Carrie, so. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I feel like you can also even think about like John Hughes movies or yeah. something, uh, that it's, it's playing on these tropes of like just the high school film, I oh, guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's archetypes abound in Cabin Fever 2. Yeah, and it's it's visually really different too, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the credits in the opening sequence and the credits at the close are done in this like schoolhouse rock style kind of animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the dialogue scenes, the the framing and camera work feels like it's something out of like a Coen Brothers film. Yeah. It's it's so weird. It is. It's very stylized and I I enjoy it immensely. Yeah, no, it's 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 really I mean, I guess, what was your just kind of overall feeling on the film? Did you like it? I did. I actually liked this one more than the first one. Uh, I felt that it was a lot more cohesive. It was a lot easier to follow. Uh, The characters were... Even though they were still archetypes, they were less one-dimensional. Like, what, John and Cassie actually had, like, some depth to them. They had problems. They weren't, like, perfect human beings. Um, But they were still likable. Uh, So I I enjoyed that a lot. I also enjoyed that, like... Even though uh, most of the story takes place in a single setting, which is the high school, it doesn't really feel... It doesn't feel like we're just seeing the same characters over and over again. And I feel like that's just because there's more characters, obviously, but, like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's also because the characters are, like, going into different situations, and the character roster, I guess, is constantly changing with people dying. Yeah, well, and I think you could almost, like, recut the film... And it'd be a lot shorter, but you could almost yeah. recut it as just like a high school film. Pretty much. And I think that that's maybe a central difference that like you couldn't do that with the original and have it be like just like a like college body comedy sort right. of. Um, but you, you, you could feasibly do that with this one, I think. Yeah, I agree. I also feel like just the comedic timing uh, of this one was better in that like there weren't moments comedy was like intruding in on horror and it felt not really like funny, more like awkward. I feel there's a clear division between like when moments should be taken seriously and when moments are supposed to be taken lightly. Yeah, I mean, I would say almost like the original film is like a horror film with comedic elements. Yeah. And like this one is like a comedy with horror elements. Yeah. So, you know, they, they feel like they're two sides of the same coin, maybe. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a funny... I mean, it is just a, a, a funny movie. Yeah, it is. Um, it's, a, it's a funny mix. And I think there were things I really liked about this one. Um, the character of Alex, I think, is like kind of a fun... Like, it is just... This came out in 2009. Um, and he has sort of like a... Kind of an emo bang. Like, yeah. he looks like he would be like an extra in like a Fall Out Boy music video. He also looks like he's 30. Yeah, all of the teenagers look like shockingly old. Yeah. Yeah, they they all look like they're older than us. I'm sure they are, or were at the time. <laughs> yeah, I looked up the ages at some point. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it is funny. Like particularly like the the lead, uh, John, just does not look remotely like a high schooler. <laughs> I think something that uh, really hurt the film for me, because uh, by and large I liked it. I, I enjoyed it. I think I probably liked the the first one a little bit better, but um, but I, I mostly I liked it. I think. John, the main character, is a fucking, like, incel, yes. uh, like, nice guy TM piece of shit. He is, yes. And so there, there's a moment where he essentially goes off on Cassie, the love interest, just like, why are you uh, dating this guy? Which, like, her boyfriend is also a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he very much kind of is like, you should be with me. I've always been nice to you. And it's like, oh, oh, buddy. 
Yeah. Um, and I feel like, you know, this, this movie like predates that maybe being like a big conversation in pop culture. Uh, but for me, it's like really hard to have like any amount of, uh, like empathy with him starting at that moment. It's a big yikes moment, which I feel like back then was like a not big yikes moment. Yeah, I feel like that should have been at least, like, a moderate yikes moment yeah. at the time, but, I, I mean, who really knows? I feel like, I feel like with uh, all those, like, what, like, 2000s, like, young adult movie, coming-of-age movies, they kind of had a similar tone of, like, this one, like, incel-ish character who we're following that we're supposed to sympathize with. Um, yeah. There's kind of a reason why those kinds of movies don't really exist anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's another moment. It's like you can see the cultural shift yeah. uh, in the past, what, like 13 years or whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that's just like a moment. Like the, the fact that like it still kind of like plays this as a romance between the two of them is very cringy. It is indeed very cringy. It is. I, I mean, otherwise, though, it's a really fun movie. It is. I wanted more Winston. You know what? I feel that. I, I can agree with that. His uh, scenes felt not inconsequential. Well, I guess, yeah, inconsequential. Because, like, he, he, he had the subplot of, like, telling people what happened and, like, trying to stop the disease from spreading. And then he just kind of gives up by the end of it. Yeah, yeah, I think the note that I have is sort of that, like, he orbits the plot. Like, yeah. he kind of, like, pops in and out. Um, and, like, any moment he pops in, he just cracks me up. <laughs> Anytime Winston's like, the center of attention, it's very much a sign of, like, this is comedy now. Like, yeah. just straight up comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 really fun. I, I mean, yeah, I just think he's, like, a blast. And, again, I think if he were in... Uh, you know, like the kind of like super bad or 40 year old virgin, um, even like scary movie. Right. I don't think I would love him in the same way, but there's something about that character in context of a horror movie that I think is really fun. Maybe it's because we expect the, the police in a horror film to like either be the kind of ineffectual or actually save the day. Right. Um, and he's just like utterly ineffectual, like not really interested in saving the day. And it's just like, yeah, so, like, we gonna party? I get, yeah. like, so much pussy, man. I get mad pussy. I'm like, all right, buddy. Well, he tries to save the day for, like, the first two acts, and then he's just like, never mind, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, there's something fun about him sort of, like, wandering in and, like, trying to do something right. and then just utterly giving up. Yeah, just the moment he's confronted with uh, all of these armed fucking CDC workers, he's like, ah, nah, I'm good. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think... Maybe, maybe what it is, so, like, I think you could recut this as, like, a, like, high school comedy and kind yeah. of, like, a, uh, like, a dirtier John Hughes film. Or, I mean, yeah, really, like, super bad is just what keeps coming to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that, like, it doesn't quite nail all the beats of that movie. Right. And I think maybe what it is is both, like, I think John doesn't actually, like, really go through any character development. Um, yeah. Which is a shame, you know, like, I, I, I think, like, a better version of this film, he would, like, go off on, on Cassie and then she'd be like, fuck you, I'm done, <laughs> you know, and, and, and he would have to kind of go through some realization about himself. Uh, and I think that, like, potentially a tighter version of this movie would have also, like, blended that story more tightly in with uh, our, like, party cop on the road kind yeah. of story. Likewise, it feels like a lot of characters were used, like, once or, like, really just like underused um alex especially like is kind of just the 
he's the Winston of like the horror sections of the film. He's the comic relief. Uh, barely anything happens to him, and then he dies. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I wish we'd spent more time with him. Any too. Um, yeah, something that I thought was really interesting. So in the first film, there's like kind of a I think it's kind of like a hallucinatory moment where. One of the characters, I think it's Paul, mm-hmm. um, is being like taken to a doctor's office or something and has a vision of like a person uh, yeah. in a bunny suit bunny. Uh, performing surgery. Yeah. Uh, and then in the sequel, there's a scene where somebody at the prom is wearing this full body bunny suit. And I love that as this weird, like it's not a narrative connection really. It's just, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the, like, I don't know. Maybe they're like fucking like rabbits or something. I don't know what the, if there's like a thematic connection there really. But I love that there's just this, like this image happens again. And I, I think it's just like a really fun way to connect the two movies. It is. I enjoyed it. it, it I like that. Like, I think it was Alex who was like trying to figure out who was under the bunny hood, like, when the, the bunny died. Yeah, and we never know who was never under know. it. Yeah. We never figured it out. Yeah, there's another scene, too, where, like, there's, like, a couple of guys who, like, aren't going to prom, and they're just gonna, like, hang out and watch uh, some, like, extreme horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out they're watching footage from the original film. Um, so there's... So confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so, yeah, there's, there's a very, like, tongue-in-cheek kind of, like, meta thing going on top. But I, I appreciate, like, I think... A lot of, uh, there's a lot of like meta humor these days that's very much kind of pointing out, like, wouldn't it be dumb if we did this and then they just do it? Yeah. Um, I, I think Deadpool is, is really, um, guilty of that yeah. where it, it like is making fun of superhero cliches but then narratively is exactly the same yeah. yeah um and i think that there's something fun about like it has these odd sort of nods to like a meta narrative but it doesn't actually like explicitly say them and that the plot itself is radically different yeah i feel like it's if pretty much like fallout boy created like a horror movie i feel like it would be this one dude if horror if the if fallout boy created a horror movie I would go see that opening night. I would too. I would love that so much. I mean, they have music videos that are essentially similarly seen. Yeah, they have that like vampire kind of one. Yeah, that's one. what I was thinking. I yeah. think that's uh, Grand Theft Auto, maybe? Oh, uh, yeah, so I, I forget which track it is. Yeah, I do too. God, that era of Fall Out Boy, though. I love it so much. I was just listening to them again recently, so they were on my mind, but. <laughs> yeah, they're always on my mind. <laughs> yeah. So, what about like issues with the sequel, or, or I guess I'm, I'm thinking about, this is just me being like, let's segue towards our pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, what do we feel like are the things that it kind of loses, or that would have been worth, like, working from more in the original? Honestly, there's not... There's not a lot from the original that I kind of still want to see mm-hmm. in the sequel. I think they did a good job of, like, placing the action in a completely different setting. Um, maybe the only difference would be that I would consider, like, having more of the characters from the first film in this film. Uh, even if we had, like, a cameo of some of, like, the country bubkins in the strip club at the end, I feel it would be interesting. Oh, that would be a fun way to bring it full circle, yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, the kid in the first movie that just bites anybody who sits down next to him. Right. Um, which is another, it feels very Twin Peaksy to me. It does, yeah. Um... But yeah, I love that detail, and I was kind of wondering if the kid would come back. Which, I mean, I guess because he bit somebody who was infected, he's probably dead. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's move into pitches. Mm-hmm. What um, what are your thoughts? So even though like I feel like this is uh, Cabin Fever Two is a really successful sequel. If I were to like make my own sequel, I would I would kind of do a similar trajectory in that I would try to see how I can take like the monster that is the virus and like put it in a completely different setting mm-hmm. while still making it kind of like a horror comedy mm-hmm. sort mm-hmm. of feel. I almost thought that like what like what if this took place in like a nursing home? Oh. That might be a much sadder version. Do you think so? I don't know about that. I mean, I, I guess it depends on how you play it. Yeah. Right. Uh, I but, feel like usually teenagers are very disposable in horror movies, uh-huh. whereas the, with the elderly, we're a little more like, oh, I don't know. I hope they have, you know, I don't know. It, it, maybe there's a weird value thing going on there. <laughs> we care about elderly people more than we do teenagers? Uh, in horror movies, I think. Not in, like, anywhere else in culture, maybe. Yeah, maybe you're not wrong. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I don't it's... Know. Uh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. I don't know. I'm trying to rethink of, like, where else I could put it in. Mm-hmm. An office, maybe? Or... What other enclosed spaces do people go in? Uh, you could do like a concert potentially. A hospital? Um, a hospital could be interesting. I mean, that's probably moving it closer to like the more traditional sort yeah. of uh, infection. Of, yeah, I was thinking of like um, fucking Halloween 2. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. A hospital. You could do something like that. like A prison? A prison would work too. Uh, I'm going to go with the hospital one. That feels like the best, most logical one, I guess. I guess it'd be interesting to, like, have, like, these medical professionals, like, dealing with this illness. Uh, I feel like it would have been, like, more interesting if, like, someone found out a cure for it or something. I mean, if it's necrotizing fasciitis, that's a just a real bad bacterial infection. Like, the cure for that's an antibiotic. <laughs> it's, like, a real disease. Yeah. That, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like it would be interesting if someone found a cure for it. Um, and if somehow, for some reason, that person dies without anyone knowing the cure. Nice. Yeah, it's a very kind of, like, nihilistic sort yeah. of approach. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, like, um, I'm literally only realizing this now, but it's, like, interesting, like, pitching ideas for, like, an infection horror film in the wake of COVID, mm-hmm. where, like, any setting you choose, there's, like, baggage attached to it, kind yeah, of. pretty much. Um, maybe except for prom, because all the proms are canceled. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, I, so I, I actually, I think the prom setting is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I maintained it for my pitch. Um, cause I, I think, I think it's really fun. Um, and I, I think the, 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 I just came up with a better pitch, but you oh, keep going. No, no, uh, go for it. Go for it. Uh, what if, and I'm thinking about this because of the monkey pox right now, Yeah. which I feel like I can joke about a little bit cause no one's dying from that. Uh, and also because I'm gay, I get to. Yeah, <laughs> I won't joke about it. <laughs> what if, like, the virus was in a gay bathhouse? Ooh. I would enjoy it. Mostly because, like, I love gay horror as a, as a genre. Yeah. It's very campy, very funny, but at the same time it still has that horror element, which I feel like is a nice evolution from, like, this sort of, like, comedy horror into, like, more out there comedy horror. Yeah. Almost. I don't know. I feel like that'd be a really interesting setting. Very timely as well. Yeah. No, I think that could be a blast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think you would end up with a really interesting... 
know, just be an interesting setting too, because you're having people like running all over the place <laughs> and just like places that are wet. Yeah, um, pretty much. And also, if water is like one of the major ways that the disease is carried, then like mm -hmm. a bathhouse sort of like you're just surrounded by it on all sides. Yeah. There would um, be a lot of full frontal. Yeah, I am up for it. <laughs> um, and actually, it's interesting, right? I think that like the water as as like the point of infection is such a great starting point. It is. Um, I think that's super super interesting. Um, and it's and, and so yeah, I think that like setting in like a I don't know, it, it's like similar to, like if you set it in like a water park or right. something, you know, that you sort of end up having like your um, always on the edge of being like submerged in virus, essentially, which could be a lot of fun. It's kind of like uh, fucking what's that movie with Mark Wahlberg and, and uh, Zoe Deschanel? That's really terrible. Was, I think directed by Emily Chamlin. Oh, the happening. The happening. Yeah. Kind of like oh the happening. god, that movie is such garbage. It's yeah. Like in the air. Yeah. And you can't really avoid it. Yeah, when I think it's sort of like in the air is like too abstract and like water is such a nice like step down because mm -hmm. it's like necessary for life and like all over the place. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. Yeah, it's not abstract in the yeah. same way that like the air is. Yeah. You don't have to like make narrative leaps. That's like why, why Mark Wahlberg hasn't been infected yet, even though he's outside a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So coming back to my pitch. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, right. Yeah, Kevin. Um, yeah. So... It's fairly short, so I'm just going to read what I have. Winston is traumatized after the events of the first film and trying to pull his life together. He's decided to focus more on helping others and crashes his younger brother Alex's high school prom in an attempt to get him laid. When disease breaks out, Winston, Alex, and a high school girl named Cassie escape the school through the basement and realize that the problem is the water supply. They make it out into the woods but only have Winston's smuggled booze to drink and must contend with a militarized CDC and the infected townsfolk. I like that. Yeah, I think it's kind of fun. I love my image of like Winston trying to pull his life together um, in the wake of a trauma. I just like, I love the idea of him sort of being like, yeah, no, I just want to do more for others. So let's get you laid, bro. Yeah, right. <laughs> I feel like that's very much in his character, but what would he would do? Yeah, and I think, you know, my goal is sort of to see if we can tie the Winston mm -hmm. and the high school stuff as closely together as possible, because I think that sort of interplay is, is maybe the most interesting thing. Yeah, I agree. I have, like, a question for you mm -hmm. regarding pitches. How would you feel if... How would you feel if, like, I did a whole, or, like, I pitched a whole, like, purge, made it, like, incredibly timely of, like, COVID-19, and, like, made it so, like, they're the equivalent of anti-vaxxers for the virus, but it's just, like, people that, like, drink water <laughs> or oh, something like that. There's a lot of layers there. Yeah. So you're essentially, like, reading the story, like, much further forward right. than this point. Yeah, interesting. So what do they drink? I'm not sure. I don't. I don't exactly know how to like implement this. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking of like a neighborhood where like everyone would be fine if there weren't these like few houses of people that are just like refusing to take any precautions and get everyone sick. There is like anti-vaxer horror. It's probably like a really fertile ground yeah. for like a certain kind of audience, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it makes me think of like 
what would cabin fever be like if it was like a like a hippie commune, mm-hmm. but like a hippie anti-vax commune, yeah. you know? Reminds me of Bird Box, which I hated Bird Box a lot, by the way. Oh, I never saw Bird Box. It's not yeah. that good. Uh, but there's like a scene where like there's one guy who doesn't want to take Sandra Bullock in because like if you see the outside, you die pretty much. Um, and like he doesn't want to take her in because like he doesn't want to open the door and then he ends up doing it and then she basically just fucks up everyone who's in to manage to like survive. Mmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think that like the the way this film ends, it's sort of setting up like a post-apocalypse, right. you know. Um, and as far as I can remember, I don't think there's a Cabin Fever three, but there is like a prequel that someone did at some point, hmm. which I imagine. I imagine is terrible, but I also expected Cabin Fever 2 to be terrible, and it really wasn't. It was not, no. Um, but, so yeah, so I mean, yeah, it, that almost feels like that, maybe that is Cabin Fever 3. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I do, I mean, I love the idea of, like, kind of anti-vax being, like, sort of the monster, because mm-hmm. then you do end up with a really interesting interplay of, like, the disease is very much taking human form, which it right. somewhat does in both of these films as well. Um, but like if, if there is a vaccination for this and then there's like chunks of people who refuse to get it or for some reason the college kids like bumble into a hippie commune where nobody's vaccinated. Right. And then like everyone that dies is in the hippie commune and then like outside of that, no one's really like noticing that this is happening because everyone's vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah, that's another kind of nihilistic twist, sort of that there's these like life or death stakes for like the people involved, but then like nobody else even blinks. Right. I like it. Thank you. What if the real friends we made along the way? I don't. We're so, I, we, I feel like that's how we end every episode. We need like a new like running gag. What if the real virus was, was the friends we made along the way? Two cabin, two fever. Two cabin, two fever. Cabin Fever Tokyo Drift. Yep, there we go. Yeah, we gotta think of a better way to sign off because I think like we have multiple episodes now ending with the same. The Cabin uh, and the Fever. Mm-hmm, something. The Cabin Fever. I'm just going by Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, any last thoughts on Cabin Fever? Um, fairly good, like comedy horror franchise. Uh, definitely recommend the second one over the first one, but the first one's pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. They are. Return to the Telepodcast is a production of Silent Machine Studios, featuring music by My Silent Machine. If you enjoyed this episode, like, subscribe, and do whatever else you usually do with podcasts, I don't know. Thank you for listening.